0: Okay, take out your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Numbers. Turning to the book of Numbers. Last week, we introduced the book from the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 talks about the book of Numbers, the contents of the book of Numbers, the opening 12 verses. In those opening verses, I drew to your attention verse 6 that says, Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved now what Paul in first Corinthians is describing is details or examples found in the book of numbers and again these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things Verse 11 of the same chapter says, Now these things happen to them as an example, and they are written for our instruction. So we're supposed to learn from the experiences of believers in God in the Old Testament. We are to heed the positive examples they gave, and we are to learn from the negative examples, the the examples of failure that they gave. It's consistent with what Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 15, verse 4 of that book. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. The book of Numbers is written so that you and I can clarify, reclarify clarify our hope. And that's our goal as we move through this book. I urge you this morning to learn from the example of the great missionary, Hudson Taylor, who is now with the Lord. But years ago, the communist government in China commissioned an author to write a biography of Hudson Taylor with the purpose of distorting the facts and presenting him in a bad light. They wanted to discredit the name of this missionary that effectively brought Christianity to China as the author was doing his research he was increasingly impressed with Taylor's saintly character and godly life he found it extremely difficult to carry out his assigned task with a clear conscience eventually at risk of his own life he laid down his pen and renounced atheism and received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord Taylor's life was an exemplary Um, demonstration of what the Spirit of God can do in the life of a person committed to Jesus Christ Hudson Taylor was a positive example some of what you read in the book of numbers is a negative example of what it means to follow God but we are to learn from the experiences of those who have preceded us and learn from the those who have given us a positive demonstration of what it means to be a follower of God and also learn from those who failed now I mentioned last week that the author of the book of Numbers is Moses Moses wrote all five books of the Pentateuch Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy Uh, there is a question as to who wrote the book of Numbers and in some churches uh, Moses is discredited as the author But I turn to passages like, uh, well, quickly, Numbers 33. Numbers 33. Turn to the back of the book, chapter 33 and verse 2. It says, Moses recorded their starting places. Moses is writing there. And in chapter 36 and verse 13, the last verse in the book seems rather clear to me. These are the commandments and the ordinances which the Lord commanded to the sons of Israel through Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho. Jesus in John 13, verses 14 and 15, recognized that Moses wrote the book of Numbers, and God repeatedly identifies the object to whom he is speaking in chapter 1 verse 1 then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. That formula is repeated several times in the book so we're not going to labor the point Moses wrote the book. The basic outline of the book is this The basic outlines basically three points. There is the old generation there is the transition and there is the new generation the entire contents of the book are written around those three main points the old generation the transition and then the new generation in the old generation the book begins with a call from God for a census notice verses one to four then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first of the second month in the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, by their families, by their fathers' households, according to the number of names every male, head by head, from twenty years old and upward, who able, whoever is able to go out to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies." So the book begins with a census the purpose is to ascertain the number of men that are capable of going to war if the time should present itself we also read in the book of Exodus that this census was taken for the purpose of a future taxation And we also read right here in chapter 1 that this census was taken in order to organize the people around the tabernacle so that as they camped and as they marched, they moved in formation as areas were allotted to them according to this census now the old generation that's described here are the people who experienced the ten plagues the miraculous intervention of God that allowed them to be extricated from the land of Egypt these people are those who stood on the shore of the Red Sea and watched the water open and they walked across and they saw the water close and the entire Egyptian chariot army was destroyed they had seen the power of God God was communicating to them, his capability of leading them and providing for them. This was the old generation. And then we come to a period of the transition. The old generation we'll speak of this morning, but that's the first 10 chapters of the book. And then in chapter 10, verse 11 through 25 and verse 18, we have what we call the transition this is where the people are given the opportunity to believe God and believe Moses the man that God had placed in the position of leadership and they're brought to the wilderness of Paran to a city called Kadesh, Kadesh and uh, you'll remember the story they send 12 spies into the promised land and it's at this point that the people don't respond favorably to the re, uh, to the report of the spies because when the spies come back there are two who believe that they can take the land Caleb and Joshua with God's help they're convinced they can take the land but the majority report the 10 say there the people are too big the people are too big the obstacles are too great and they can't take the land it's impossible well when you read the response in chapter 14 and verse 10 you you understand that God is absolutely furious with his people after he has demonstrated his ability to provide for the people to lead and direct the people and to protect the people the people don't believe God In fact, they call for a new leader who would lead them back to Egypt, according to 14 verses 1 to 4. They reject the opportunity that God has placed before them, and they call for the stoning of Moses. God is furious with them, and if Moses hadn't intervened, God would have wiped them out and started all over again. God spared their lives but he promised that not one of them at the age of twenty or older would be allowed to enter into the promised land so that we come to a time of transition when God has, faithful, God has been faithful God has been faithful God has been faithful God has been faithful and they're called on to trust or believe that God will be faithful in the future they can't do it they can't pull the plug they can't pull the trigger and as a result God is furious with them and Moses saves them but they all die they're all buried in the wilderness in a 38-year period which brings us to the new generation chapters 21 to 36 and that's when all of the old generation has died off they're buried in the sands of the wilderness and God has brought his people to the plains of Moab on the eastern shore of the Jordan River just opposite Jericho according to chapter 22 in verse 1 here a second census is taken in chapter 26 Moses died Joshua replaces him and the details that are described at the end of the book of numbers are picked up in the book of Joshua Who is the new leader who takes them into the promised land and confronts Jericho the first city that challenges them so it revolves around the old generation the transition and then the new generation Uh, let's look briefly at the old generation and I'm gonna try to bring you up to speed in ten chapters I've never done a sermon like this before and I've only got a few minutes so hang on to your hat and button down your seats, here we go. We have the organization of the people in chapters one, two, three, and four. And we are reminded in the Scripture that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. First Corinthians fourteen, thirty-three, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. God is not sloppy and disorganized and therefore when we become godly we become more organized the arrangement of the 12 tribes is given in chapters 1 and 2 you will notice that uh, the uh, men are numbered 20 years of age and older according to households chapter 1 verse 18 according to verse 46 they count 603,550 men that's a lot of guys That's not a small group moving across the wilderness at the time of Moses. In fact, J. Vernon McGee takes this number of available soldiers, over 600,000, and he takes the counsel of a respected archaeologist who reasons, well, if you've got 603,550 men, or let's say 600,000, round it off, it's reasonable to assume that you'd have 400,000 women, that's a conservative estimate I would say but in addition to that let's assume two hundred thousand senior citizens and eight hundred thousand children which is reasonable very conservative very reasonable and hundred thousand of what's called the mixed multitude or in my translation it's the rabble It's the people who are not Jewish the ones who seem to stir up the complaint and get the criticism of leadership going and then you take the tribe of Levi which is we are given a number but not a total number of people you add that to the list and you have over two million people in fact you have between two and three million people Walking across the wilderness, headed for the promised land. It's no wonder that the Egyptians said that their number is becoming more than our number, and their children, are or their uh, women are reproducing at a faster rate than our own Egyptian women. It's no wonder that the Egyptian pharaoh was threatened by this group of people that was beginning to outnumber them. So we have the arrangement of the 12 tribes in chapters 1 and 2. In chapter 3, the arrangement of the Levites. Chapter 3, and you will notice in verse 50, the purpose of the Levites is given here. From the firstborn of the sons of Israel, he took the... Let's see, that's not the one I wanted chapter 1 I'm sorry chapter 1 and verse 50 but you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings and over all that belong to it they shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings and they shall take care of it they shall also camp around the tabernacle now this is the Levites their ministry their responsibility uh, verse 51. So when the tabernacle is to set out, the Levite shall take it down. And when the tabernacle encamps, the Levite shall set it up. But the layman, the non Levite, who comes near shall be put to death. Whoa! He's basically saying Levites are to do the job, they're not looking for volunteers from the other tribes the work is exclusively set aside for the Levites and anyone who tried to to uh, get involved his life would be taken now in chapter 3 verse 15 we're told that all male Levites one month old and older were to be counted there was a total of twenty two thousand two hundred and seventy three Levites who fit that category and they began their tabernacle service at age 25 and retired at age fifty whenever a person says there's no retirement in the Bible take them to the tribe of Levites there is retirement in the scriptures now we move to the sanctification of the people chapter five through uh, chapter ten verse ten now The scripture makes it abundantly clear that God is holy. It means that God is sanctified. He is set apart from everything that is unholy, and he wants his people to strive to do and to be the same. This morning, my brothers and sisters, we need to listen to the example of God's call to holiness among his people. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 31, we see the people were sanctified through separation, notice verse 3 verse 1 then the Lord spoke to Moses saying command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper and everyone having a discharge and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person you shall send away both male and female you shall send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst the laws of sanctification prescribed the procedure of lepers and anyone who was spiritually unclean to be sent away to the perimeter of the camp and then in, uh, in verses 11 to 31 you have the laws of sanctification that were prescribed when a couple was to follow if a husband suspected his wife of being unfaithful to him that's an interesting story some people were sanctified through Nazarite vows and that's covered in chapter six a Nazarite vow according to chapter six and verse uh, two speak to the sons of Israel and say to them when a man or a woman makes a special vow the vow of a Nazarite to dedicate himself to the Lord there were people who dedicated themselves to the Lord and according to the Nazarite vow it meant that they had to abstain from anything that comes from the grapevine you couldn't drink grape juice or wine secondly you had to abstain from cutting your hair who does that remind you of? Samson and you had to abstain from going anywhere near a dead body verses 6 and 7 that was basic to the Nazarite vow if you dedicated yourself to God and took the Nazarite vow you stayed away from grape juice you stayed away from short hair and you stayed away from dead bodies And then we read in chapter 6, verse 22, Aaron and the priest were instructed to pronounce a special blessing on the people for God. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 23, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. I've heard that benediction that blessing announced in several occasions in several different churches it's actually one of eleven blessings given in the Bible we come to chapter seven where all of the people were sanctified through worship worship means giving our complete selves to devotion to God to, to, to devotion and honor to the Lord William Temple said, Worship is the quickening of the conscience by the holiness of God, feeding the mind with the truth of God, purging the imagination by the beauty of God, opening the heart to the love of God, and devoting the will to the purpose of God worship involves giving God our conscience our mind our imagination our heart and our will that's the nature of worship in this chapter we find the tribes gave a donation chapter seven we are to learn from the example of these people in the book of numbers freewill offerings were brought to the tabernacle to support the tabernacle and the priests in chapter eight Levites are consecrated verse six says take the Levites from among the sons of Israel and cleanse them in chapter nine Passover is celebrated chapter nine verses one and two God prescribes Passover celebration for the first time after the exodus and some of the folks who missed it the first time are given a second opportunity in verse 6 so the tribes giving a donation the Levites consecration and Passover are all part of worship giving what we have giving who we are and acknowledging the value of what God has done for us that's part of our worship service this morning as we remembered the body and blood of Christ which brings us to chapter 9 verse 15 the people were sanctified through guidance from God in verse 15 the Shekinah glory makes its appearance at the tabernacle the Shekinah glory you will remember is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night God says when I move I want you to move and when I stop I want you to stop that's the way God guided the people to the promised land and then in chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, we have the silver trumpets. Two silver trumpets were to be used to call the people together at the entrance of the tabernacle. When one of them was blown, the tribal, tribal leaders were to come. So it was difficult to get the proper people together. And so there was the silver trumpets. One trumpet used for leaders, two trumpets used to call the people together at the entrance of the tabernacle now there's a couple of themes in the book of numbers the primary focus of the book is on the relationship between God and his people very practical for you and I today it produces examples. it produces examples of the people's total dependence upon God that's what Moses wants us to see in the book of numbers And it serves as a reminder that you and I are much more dependent upon God than what we think we are. Just as the people in Old Testament times were much more dependent upon Jehovah than they thought they were. Four things emerge, and this is the conclusion. Number one, God is a God of order. From the very beginning of chapter 1 and 2, Moses makes it clear from the descriptions of the way that, uh, excuse me, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, Moses makes it clear that God is a God of order. When God came to Noah and explained to him that he was going to destroy the earth with water and told him to build an ark, he did so in a orderly, constructive way, numbers, The book of Numbers is God's calling on Moses and Aaron at the very beginning to do a census because as they begin their hike to the promised land, God wants it to be done orderly. God is a God of order. Number two, God is a God of integrity. God makes good on his covenant promises. The promises that he gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, it is clear that he plans to honor them. In fact, we still believe today that he plans to honor those promises originally given to Abraham and in that passage Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 he says I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and historically the United States government has been sympathetic toward the nation of Israel as I believe we ought to be because those who curse God's people will experience the consequences and you don't have to look very deep into Jewish history to see that pattern consistently true God is a God of integrity and he holds people accountable for their actions number three God is holy God is holy and the sad thing here as I mentioned last week is that God's people don't always take him seriously they don't always take his holiness seriously this is a this is clear in the opening chapters of the book where we see God instructing Moses to remove from the camp everyone who has leprosy or some kind of defilement it's almost shocking to us we say we wouldn't we wouldn't do that but God says I'm concerned about you but even more than you I'm concerned about me I'm a holy God and I don't put up with anything that's unholy I'm sorry it's the way it is. You find in the book of Numbers that God's holiness is an aggressive holiness and he wants you and I to think the same. I'm told that in the forests of northern Europe and Asia lives on a little animal called the ermine. It's known for its snow white fur in winter. It's insti- it instinctively protects its white coat against anything that would soil it. I would urge you and I to learn from the lesson of the ermine fur hunters take advantage of this unusual trait they don't set snares to catch the ermine but instead they find his home which is usually a cleft in the rock or a hollow in an old tree they smear the entrance and the interior of the home with grime dirt and crud then the hunters set the dogs loose to find and chase the ermine the frightened animal will flee toward home but doesn't enter because of the filth and he would rather stand and face the dogs than he would violate the purity of his coat. For the ermine, purity is more precious than life. For the child of God, he wants our pursuit of holiness to be more important than life. So God is a God of order, number one. He's a God of integrity, number two. He is holy, number three. And God judges sin and unbelief. It's clear in the book of Numbers that God's plan is much bigger than man's sin. And it's clear that man's sin doesn't stop God from pursuing his plan and purpose to bring his people to the promised land. Man's sin produces some short-term temporary setbacks but they do not halt God from fulfilling his purpose so that's what I want you to see this morning as we begin our study that God is a God of order integrity he is holy and he judges sin and unbelief in an aggressive manner and Lord we pray that as we move through the book of numbers in the coming weeks that you would give us your perspective that we would learn from the examples and the instruction which comes in the content of these chapters for the purpose of helping us understand better our relationship with you Lord we believe that we live in a time of grace and your judgment does not fall quickly as it did in Old Testament times but in your patience and loving kindness toward us we can take advantage we can abuse our call to holiness Lord help us to learn from the examples help us to learn from these coming messages the nature of our relationship with you and the benefit, the absolute necessity of grace. But holy grace, help us to learn how you love us with holy love. And help us to understand, Lord, that you want us to be holy more than you care about us being happy. Lord, help us to respond to your call to holiness in order that we might find the happiness and the joy that you have designed for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.